Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. There is a lot of confusion uh, that surrounds this topic of prayer. And it's not just new in our day, it was true in Jesus' day, and that was one of the reasons why he spent time teaching on prayer. And not just teaching, uh, you know, directly, he did it indirectly with the way that uh, he lived his life. He modeled uh, a life of prayer. Uh, He just did that. And he made the decision to teach uh, his disciples, those closest to him, the twelve, what life and prayer could look like and what it should look like. And he, he also made the in public for anyone who would follow him. And that's why, as we've seen, as we've been uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever, we see smack dab in the middle of that sermon, Jesus taking time out to specifically teach those, the mass, the crowd that day, not just the twelve, but the crowd, uh, about prayer. Because he wants people who follow him to be clear on prayer. And we began our, our journey through that uh, two weeks ago, and we, we really focused on the very first sentence of that prayer. And I challenged you, actually, to take the, the, the past two weeks to really focus on uh, verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus tells us that when you pray, say. And he opened his prayer with our Father in the heavens, and that was Jesus starting uh, prayer. And I, I, I not only challenged you, but I also did the same thing. I, I tried to meditate and, and pray this prayer, uh, again, freshly in my own life. And God did something in those first two words, really the first word, but the first two words, our Father. Now, I've had this long-standing understanding of that those opening words, our Father, and what it, what it showed me for the longest time is that the hour in the disciples' prayer conveys a corporate capacity of the prayer, that we could pray it and should pray it corporately, and I still believe that. But this past week, uh, the Lord captured my heart in a way through this prayer that he had never really captured it before. Now, I know that Jesus is with me. Um, But I had never heard Jesus convey, if you would, the co-join nature of this prayer. And so the hour, O-U-R, in the disciples' prayer also conveys not just a corporate capacity of this prayer, but a co-joined capacity in this prayer. And what I mean by that is this. When when you look at that word hour and, and you think about Jesus, maybe personally, one-on-one, instructing you in how to pray, it struck me for the first time in a deep way that what Jesus was saying is, Joe, when you think you're by yourself praying, you're not. Joe, I am praying this with you. So, Joe, when you pray this prayer alone, you don't have to say, my Father. It is appropriate, Joe, for you to say our, because I am with you. I am praying this prayer with you. Now, we know that Jesus, the Scripture tells us, is interceding for us. But Jesus is also wanting to pray this prayer with you when you're by yourself. He is is present in this prayer in a powerful way. And I just want you to know that one of the things that did is it has helped me pray this prayer in a fresh way. In a new, fresh way, recognizing that when I say our, Jesus is right there with me if there's nobody else in the room. Jesus is present in that prayer, praying it it with me. And so I'm going to ask you to do what I asked you to do two weeks ago. I'm going to ask you, uh, if you were able, uh, to stand. And we are going to say the Lord's Prayer together. It should come up on the screen behind me. And what I want to do different this week, I still want you to pray it with full voice, but I want you to join me in pausing after the phrase, our Father. And I want you to 
visually try to see Jesus praying this prayer with you. Stand with me and let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You pray real good. Better than some of our, our prayers up here. Thank you. Now, today... As I challenged you two weeks ago, I want to challenge you again this week to focus your prayer attention on verse 10 of this prayer, second sentence in the prayer. Matthew records it in verse 10 of chapter 6, and it simply says this. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the question that begs to be asked when you think about that sentence, I believe. What would it look like when heaven comes to earth? What, what, what would that look like? We, we have a hard time getting our minds around that. I mean, we, we just do. But Jesus told us that we need to. We need to wrap our minds around this. We need to be praying for God's kingdom to come that what's done perfectly up there in the presence of God would be done here on earth the same way. And so we need to be clear on what we're going to be asking for when we pray thy kingdom come. So we're not just hurling this prayer around on mamby-pamby. You know, that we're actually praying it thoughtfully and passionately. And so that's what I want us to think about today. And so here's kind of the big idea for the message today, and it's just simply this. If we are to earnestly pray, thy kingdom come, we're going to have, to have to actively set out to dethrone myself, ourselves, from the throne of our heart, and we've got to actively choose to enthrone God. Now, see, we were created for a relationship with the one true God, but sin has led us, all of us, you and me, each of us, to make idols in our hearts. And that leads us to worship a multitude of little G gods. Even worse, it leads us to actually think of ourselves as many gods. Many gods who want to be, you know, the center of the universe. Many gods who want to be, you know, uh, to, to, to be given what should only be reserved for God himself. We want to be sovereign. We want to be worshipped. We want our kingdom to come and our will to be done. And so, you know what we do? With our little kingdom, we establish our own rule, our own, our own law. And we dare anybody to break a rule that we have established in our kingdom. And in our kingdom, we try to take credit for the things that only God could have done. And in our kingdom, we tell ourselves that, you know, we're entitled to these things. We deserve them. And we complain and grumble when we don't get what we want. And in living for our own glory, we steal the glory that God himself deserves. And so it's so important to remind ourselves daily at least, moment by moment even, to pray, thy kingdom come. Now, if we're going to earnestly pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, so that we can actively dethrone ourselves, there's some things that we've got to be truthful about. See, before we'll ever get to the place where we'll dethrone ourselves, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to see, clearly see a greater king. We've got to see a, a king better than us, better at, at ruling and reigning our little kingdom than, than we are. 
And in the Gospels, Jesus often speaks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And that means that if those things are real, that there's a glorious, great, good king. And before I will or you will step down from your throne so that God could sit upon it, you have got to be clear on how beautiful and how great and how good and how glorious and loving that king is. And the Bible confronts us with that vision over and over and over again. Psalms chapter 47 tells us in verse 1 to sing praises to God, but you ask why. Well, verse 2 answers that question. I'm glad you asked. Because of this, how awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. There's, there's no corner of the earth where God's sovereign rule doesn't touch. No neighboring kingdom that he's not actually uh, have authority over. Now, yes, there are other powers on this earth. There are other authorities that exist. There are other kings and so-called, you know, little g gods that do not recognize the Lord, do not see him that way. But he is sovereign over them. Psalms 95.3 paints this picture again. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. See, no one is outside of his rule and reign beyond his will. And God, he's not only a great king, he's also a glorious king, a, a good king, a loving king. And for that reason, his people, we we long for the day when we will see him face to face. Look at Psalm 27, starting in verse 7. God's word says this. Open up, O ancient gates, and let the king of glory in. Who is this king of glory? He's the commander of the Lord's armies, the heavenly armies. Some translations say he's the Lord God Almighty. He's the king of glory. So God is presented in the scriptures as this great and mighty and powerful and glorious and good and, and loving king. And when we truly begin to see that, we, we'll take the first step off the throne. We'll start dethroning ourselves. But we, we've got to do one more thing. We've got to see this great and glorious king, but we also have to see, before we'll dethrone ourselves, we have to see a better kingdom. A better kingdom than the one that I've constructed. And I want us to think really deeply uh, about this this morning. Because the prophets and the scripture writers, they thought very deeply about it. You can tell from, from their writings. They spent a, a, a great deal of time reflecting on this and being inspired by the Holy Spirit to have these visions of what it would look like if the earth was rightly aligned with the kingdom of God. And they wrote a lot about it, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they were trying to, in that day, convey spiritual reality using earthy images because we have a hard time grasping spiritual reality. And so they would use earthy images of their day to convey what it will be like when the kingdom of God makes its way to the earth. And so in this message... I want to spend some time helping us think about what does it look like when the kingdom of God is here and the earth begins to align with the kingdom of God. And I want to do that using some language that we use, much like the, 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 the prophets of old and the New Testament writers did. But we've got to be focused on what was their truth behind all of those images, and so my goal for doing this is so that you and I would pray with, with discernment and with clarity and with intelligence. We pray for the kingdom of God to come because we would long for it when we really get to see it. And one of my great longings as I sat down to put this together became understanding that God wants us, you and me, this church, River Bluff Church, to become kingdom prayers. That that's what we would be. We would be kingdom prayers. Now, the Bible, when it talks about the kingdom of God, it, it, it enters different spheres of reality on the earth. One of those realities, one of those spheres, has to do with economics and as it relates to human need. 
In Revelation chapter 7, John, the apostle, writes these words about what it looks like when the kingdom of God begins to be experienced and comes in its fullness. He wrote these words. He says, and the one who sits on the throne will be present with them, and those people will never be hungry again and never be thirsty again. Can you think about what that would look like? No starving children pictured on TV, no, no swollen little bellies, all, all, of, all of that gone, no, no scarcity, no mothers trying to scrounge up enough food in hopes that their, their child could maybe survive one more day. But the, the biblical imagery for this is not just that there would uh, not just be scarcity, but there, there would be abundance. There would be overflow of abundance where we see God's kingdom landing. Uh, the prophet Amos, God inspired him in Amos chapter 9, verse 13. He wrote these words, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the one who plows will overtake the one who reaps. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. Now remember, that imagery is written in kind of a semi-desert geographic condition that's that that's that imagery and the image is, is this that those who are out planning you know that they, they, they would plant but in the in reality in that day they would plant and they would have to wait a long time for the rains to come so that the plants would grow because it wasn't fertile ground but the imagery that this writer is using here is he says it's going to be so abundant and so fertile and so incredible that the one who plows the one who's busting up the soil is going to bump into the one who's reaping the harvest. Everything is going to be growing. It's going to be incredible. There'll, there'll be abundance. Where the scripture says here, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I, I know some of you are thinking, does that mean Chardonnay is going to flow out of the Rockies? I, I, I don't think that's exactly what it means. It's an image of abundance, just incredible abundance. You know, in our terms, we would probably say th something like, you know, the stock market will always go higher and higher and higher. It'll never crash. It'll never dip down. Just always kind of up and to the right. In our day, we'd say something like, the Fed will never have to raise interest rates again. In our day, we'd say something like, little children in, in the sedan will have their own rooms with, with carpet and their own private bath and a kitchenette filled with delights when the kingdom of god comes there will be uh, uh, abundance the jobless rate will go down it will go to zero and that'll never change and everybody will love what they do when abundance of the kingdom comes see the bible addresses this the bible addresses uh, the, the, not only the sphere of economics and human need, but it also addresses the, 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 the sphere of, of politics, which quite frankly, friends, in human history is mostly all about conflict, just mostly about human conflict. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, speaking about God, Isaiah prophesies these words, he, being God, will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. No more fighting. No more wars. No, no more hatred. They won't have use for swords anymore. So they'll turn them into instruments of creativity and, and plenty. You know, the... We have armed nuclear warheads in, you know, silos. All of those are going to get yanked out. And those silos get filled with water. And little children will be taught to scuba dive. You know, in, in, in the king, when the kingdom begins to come to earth, changes will happen and there'll be peace. Peace unimaginable. Listen to the words in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. And Isaiah is using this imagery to convey that the world will be completely at peace. Great shalom where the kingdom of God is realized. There'll be no issues at the borders, you know. 
INS agents will play duck, duck, goose with little kids who have just crossed over. It'll, it'll be a different kind of world. The lamb and the lion will lay down. The wolf, a dog, will make peace. He'll no longer hunt the rabbit. And house cats will be no more. Sorry. I couldn't resist. Um, that's, that's my vision. Um, in, in, in Revelation 21, John John speaks of the, the, the city of God, the community where God's people live with him. And he says that the street in that, in that city will be paved with pure gold. And the great city itself will have 12 gates, and those 12 gates will be made with a, from a single pearl each. See, this is the imagery that, that God gave John, and it's an imagery that, that communicates that our desire for beauty will be satisfied fully. No more pollution, no more run-down inner-city buildings, no more horrible graffiti, no more broken windows, no more concrete jungles. See, the creative geniuses of God's people made in His image will blossom and flourish where the kingdom comes. Every day will be a masterpiece. Everything people create. Those little crayon drawings that children draw and want mommy and daddy to put them on the refrigerator, they'll all look like Michelangelo's, you know, or Picasso. Well, they do look like Picasso's, but, um, but I mean, it'll, it'll be beauty. It'll be, it'll be incredible. That's what, when the kingdom lands, when the kingdom finds reality on this earth, when the earth aligns with the kingdom of God, teenage girls will look at magazine covers and then they'll look in the mirror and they'll think, it's exactly how I'm supposed to look. Right there in the mirror. It, it, it'll be because society will have learned to celebrate the beauty of every bearer of God's image, no matter shape, nor size, nor color. They'd all look in the mirror and say, I am just right the way that I am. And they'll know it. Scripture writers say that in the kingdom of God, when it's arrived in fullness, there'll be no more fear. And so when it arrives in any capacity, fear begins to be driven out. Revelation 21, 25 says, the city's gates will never be shut on any day because there is no night there. Now, of course, in biblical times, there was no electricity, so there were no, you know, uh, unnatural light, if you would. Uh, night was a time of darkness. It was a time of vulnerability. It was a time when crime would take place. So it was a time of fear. In the kingdom, those days will be over. No more locked doors. No need for gated communities or security systems or, or combinations. You, you'll, you'll never lose your keys again. Because you won't need them. I mean, when, when the kingdom of God comes... Never again will there be another event like happened in Memphis with the taking of Tyree Nichols' life. Never again. Never again will there be call for violent protest afterwards. Never again. When, when the kingdom comes in fullness, there'll be no need for policing. And if there are police, you know what they'll do? They'll stop you to give you commentations for driving with civility and care for other drivers on Ashley Phosphate Road. <laughs> They'll do that. And then all of you will go straight to Krispy Kreme, and the donuts there will actually be good for you and taste better than they've ever tasted when the kingdom comes, when God's will is, is being done. Friends, in the kingdom of God, families are redeemed. God gave that vision to Malachi that when the kingdom finds its traction here on earth, listen to these words. God will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. No more separation. No more divorce. No more abuse, no affairs, no neglect. 
No unloved, no unwanted children. Not in the kingdom of God. What will happen instead is members of households will stay up late at night trying to figure out how to serve one another better. Older siblings will look at mom and say, hey, give my little brother the biggest piece of cake. Families will be redeemed. You know, I don't know that Jerry Springer will exist, but if he did, people would turn into shows titled something like, my spouse secretly loves me twice as much as I thought he did. It'll be different when the kingdom comes. Everything changes when the kingdom makes its way to this earth. And then maybe the most beautiful words about the kingdom that were ever written, Revelation 21, starting in verse 3. John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Think about those words. He goes on to say, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. Anybody here other than me want to live in a world like that? See, that's the, that's the vision. No more Kleenex. No more funeral homes. Caskets that might be remaining, they'll get turned into toy boxes. You know? Hearses will become SUVs with incredible names like Eternal Voyager or Jeep Grand Resurrection or, you know, something like that. It, everything changes. And there will still be counselors. But people will pay to see a counselor because they are so filled with joy they just need somebody to listen to them. Everything changes when the kingdom makes its way to the earth. And every day, every single day, you will be home with God. No more sin separating you. You will be home with God. God promises this. He spoke these words to the prophet Ezekiel. God says, I will remove from them their hearts of stone, and I will give them hearts of flesh. No more stony hearts, no more cold hearts, no more stubborn hearts. You'll never say anything again that you regret. You'll never put your foot in your mouth again. It'll never happen. You'll never feel guilt or shame for the things that you've done. When you see somebody else's success or, or wealth or, or, or beauty, you'll not even think about being envious. You'll just want to celebrate the blessing. The Bible says every tribe and tongue and nation will gather like brothers and sisters. Just think about this. You, you will see. You, you will see the living God. And you know what will happen? No more doubt. All your doubt will melt away. No more question. No more, why, God, did this happen? No more. All of that will be gone. Because you will see the face of God. You'll look into his face and he'll be your God and, and we'll be his people every thought that you have will actually be a prayer every prayer that you have will actually be a conversation with God God himself will wipe away your very last tear and he'll point his finger and he will drive sadness and sorrow away and it'll never come back There'll be joy inexpressible. Listen to how the scriptures describe it one day uh, in Isaiah 55. The trees of the field will do what? <laughs> Clap their hands. Look what it says about the mountains and the hills. Before you they shall break forth into singing, which means Julie Andrews was right. The hills are alive with the sound of music. You know? It, it, it's true. And God will bring all of creation into its full redemptive potential. And neither human beings, me and you, nor all of creation will any longer be under the curse. We've been under the curse, friends, for a long time. 
All the way back since Genesis chapter 3, the ground got cursed. We fell under the curse, but no more curse where his kingdom comes. Friends, that's what it looks like when the kingdom of God starts breaking forth on this earth. All that's in the heart of God gets done. And for you and me to have the understanding of this, this kingdom is for you and me to long for it to come so that we will pray passionately, oh dear God, thy kingdom come. Thy, thy will be done. This is a very important thing, friends, that we understand this. And so the question that I think we want to ask when we get here and start understanding it, can this be real? Is it possible that one day the earth will be completely redeemed? Will, will God do this? Is it, is it real or is it, just, is it just a fantasy? Well, friends, this was the whole reason Jesus came. His whole message, the entirety of his message. The Bible tells us that the gospel message of Jesus, not just on the Sermon on the Mount, but the whole message of Jesus was rooted in this understanding that the kingdom of God is near. And you and I need to repent and step into the kingdom. We need to believe it. We need to trust in it. And we need to enter into it. This was, this was the whole message of the gospel. Mark tried to summarize it in the opening of his gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he, he, he said that Jesus reported, the, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news that the kingdom is available to anyone who would come. This kingdom of God that we've been talking about. And Jesus says when the kingdom of God is near. He's not saying it's just starting to get close. He's saying it is available. It's, it's available. Because in human history, there has already been one life lived on this planet in which God's will was perfectly done. It was the life of Jesus. He demonstrated it, that a life can be lived that way. The Bible tells us that Jesus bore in his own person, in his flesh and blood, the reality of the kingdom of God. Everybody saw him. They saw the reality of the kingdom being lived out in daily moments. And it was a life in which whatever God desired, that, that's what got chosen. And here's the thing. Jesus says to people in his day, on the side of that mountain that day. And he says to us in this room today, it's possible. It's now possible. The gospel says it's possible for human beings, ordinary people like you and me, it's possible that we can live in the presence and the power of God. We can do it now. We can do it every moment. It's the greatest offer ever made on the planet. And if you want it more than anything, which I think any sane person would, then Jesus says this. Follow me. Fo follow me. Be devoted as, as my follower. Learn from me how to live in the kingdom of God. If you've ever done any learning or reading or studying about leadership, you'll hear things. Uh, one word that you'll hear a lot is the word vision. Friends, there has never been a greater vision cast than the vision that Jesus cast for the kingdom of God. And when men and women in his day heard it and realized it, they gave up everything. They sacrificed everything. They sacrificed possessions and careers. They lived for it and they died for it. And they did it with joy. Sometimes with tears, but with joy. They did it in suffering because they were unable to believe that the kingdom of God could be made available to somebody like them. And this was Jesus' entire life and teaching. And just one more thing on this. It's the whole reason Jesus did miracles. The, the whole purpose of the miracles were to authenticate that the kingdom of God had finally made its way to earth. The kingdom is available. It has come. That's the, that's the reason Jesus did miracles. To show that the kingdom was now a reality. And the kingdom of God is available for ordinary, broken, messed up, 
fallen human beings like me and like you. See, part of the reason that people were so surprised at the kingdom coming, that Jesus announcing that the kingdom had come, because there were still other kingdoms on the earth at that time. You know, Caesar still had his kingdom going on. There were other countries that had kingdoms. There were different economic powers. And and everybody pretty much had their own little kingdom like you and I do today. And most of those are opposed to God. You know, there's still other kingdoms. But one day, there will only be the one kingdom. And we'll, we'll get to experience in all its fullness. And all the things that the writers of the scriptures have spoken to us and that we long for and they long for and they tried to communicate in the most compelling of ways, it'll be real. It will, it will be real. Now, here's the big question. How will this happen? How will the kingdom of God come? How will this fallen earth get straightened out? Because people have been trying to figure that out for a long time. People have been trying to work toward to do it. You know, revolutions come and go. And governments get overthrown, but still people end up hurting and killing each other. It goes on and on. Wars break out. The human heart is still filled as, as stone. And sometimes people think, oh, man, if we could just get clever enough economically, you know, we, we could figure this out. And, you know, if we could do the growth engine thing, then, you know, uh, all rising tide, it'll, it'll lift every boat. Hadn't worked yet because we can't figure it out on our own. Oddly enough, sometimes seems like especially these days in the church, we think, man, if we could just get our guy elected. You've heard me say it, and I'm going to keep saying it. The kingdom of God has yet to show up on Air Force One. And it ain't gonna. That's never gonna. It's just not gonna happen. So how does the kingdom come to earth? And amazingly, what we study right now in the greatest sermon ever, through the greatest prayer ever prayed, Jesus is saying the kingdom coming starts with prayer. It starts with you and me coming to God in prayer. Our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the prayer that Jesus teaches those of us who follow. Now, if you were to go home and kind of dissect the prayer, one of the things that you'll discover is there are at least seven requests. Sometimes I say there's six because I combine kind of the last two. You can kind of divide it in half. The first half of the request are related to the kingdom. The second half are, are more about us. You know, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, don't lead us into temptation, deliver us, you know, that kind of thing. But the first three are about the kingdom. And the, this middle request, your kingdom come, is kind of like the anchor to the other two. Because when God's kingdom comes, you know what's going to happen? God's name will always be hallowed. It will always be hallowed when his kingdom's there. And the other thing that will happen when his kingdom's there, his will will always get done when his kingdom is present. And that's why God wants us to understand that what we're praying for, that this would happen. See, the kingdom is where people shamelessly adore and love God and are set free from sin. And so they never cease doing the kinds of things that God wants. That's the kingdom of God. It's where his name gets hallowed, where his will gets followed. And Jesus is telling disciples on the mountain that day and disciples in this room, it starts with prayer. I don't know how to put it more simply. Jesus desires that you and I become kingdom prayers. And he wants us to take this really seriously. Jesus is saying the kingdom which is the only thing that will save this world, the thing that I hope and pray you are longing for, the kingdom of God begins to come as you and I start to earnestly, sincerely, biblically pray for it. So Jesus asks you and me, become kingdom prayers. And I want to quickly give you some direction about what that looks like if you and I are going to pray our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because here's what's got to happen. 
If I'm going to pray for his kingdom to come, I've got to pray that it will come personally in me. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done starting right here in this geography, in, in this body. And don't run past that and think, yeah, I'll just pray that prayer. You know, Jesus prayed that prayer one day. Jesus prayed that prayer, Father, your will, not mine, be done. You know where he was? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he would be crucified. And he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, this cup of suffering. But not my will, your will be done. Jesus prayed that prayer. And so for you and I to pray that prayer that the kingdom of God would come, there's a couple of things that we got to be ready to do. The first thing that we've got to be ready when we pray that prayer, it requires readiness to suffer. You and I, if we're going to pray, thy kingdom come, we're going to have to be willing to face some suffering. Just like Jesus did. Just like his followers did. Just like his followers all around the world continue to do. But it, beco- it goes beyond just, just suffering. It also means that we've got to be ready for something else. And it's this. To pray for his kingdom to come in me requires a readiness to change. I got to be ready to change, to have my mind changed, to have my heart changed, to have my politics changed, to have my whole worldview changed. If I'm going to pray, our Father, thy kingdom come. Thy Father, I want to not just be a kingdom prayer, I want to be a kingdom bearer. I want my life to bear the kingdom of God. I want want to live it, but I want to distribute it. So what would that look like? What would that look like in your life if the kingdom of God would come? Where you work. What would it look like there? What sacrifice would it mean for, for you to experience relationally the kingdom of God coming. It'll probably mean some sacrifice. It'll probably mean there'll be times you'll have to swallow your pride and humble yourself. You want God's will done, not yours, with your children, with your marriage, with your friendships, in your dating life, if you're dating God's will, your kingdom come here in your career. Your will be done. And God, would you bring that reality into all of my relationships? God, make, God, make me a servant, a kingdom servant. God, make me a kingdom encourager. God, make me a kingdom confronter when it's necessary. God, make me a kingdom friend. Your relationship. What would it look like in your financial world, in that sphere of your life? To pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in my bank account. What, what, would, what would that look like? Because it might involve some serious sacrifice. I think about the early days of River Bluff Church. River Bluff Church got birth in 2002 out of Midland Park Baptist Church. But starting in the late 90s and into the early 2000s, there were people in this church who financially sacrificed, uh, I mean, just sacrificed deeply for three years, made commitments to give sacrificially beyond their tithes and normal offerings so that God could build a church, plant a church in what then was the fastest growing area of the city of North Charleston, a place where the gospel could be proclaimed, a place where little boys and girls could come and and be discipled, a a place where people could find community, a place where where, where people could could, could go for for Christ-centered counseling so that emotional and spiritual healing could come. And the prayer that went up, God, your will be done in our finances, and you show us what that'll take. Most of you know that the last two years at River Bluff Church have been financially challenging. But I, I want you to hear me say something real clearly. Because I believe this all, with all my heart. If this one thing were to be done among God's people, 
If River Bluff Church, anyone who calls this place home is praying sincerely, God, when it comes to my resources, your kingdom come. You know what would happen? Every single thing that God wants done through this church could happen. Every single thing. It would be unstoppable if God's people would pray, your kingdom come in my resources. Just that one prayer. Your kingdom come. Start praying it today. Pray it tomorrow and every day. God, your kingdom come in every sphere of my life. So first I pray, God, bring it personally in me. But then I I pray that his kingdom would come relationally around me. That the kingdom of God, Father, may your kingdom come to my children and the people I work with and the people in my neighborhood and the people that I go to school with. Friends, there's power in that prayer. I've had the privilege of serving here for almost 35 years, and in that time, I've had the privilege of praying with parents who are broken over their wayward children. Some so far gone that we didn't know if they'd make it back or even make it out. And I've watched parents pray, God, your kingdom, your kingdom come in my child's life. This week, I got a call from one of those young men who was a teenager, who I watched his parents pray earnestly, and I got to pray with them for his return to the Lord because he wandered far, far away. He'll be the first to tell you that. And he called me this week and said, Joe, can we get together to talk? Because I'm part of a a church planting team that is going to plant a church in Nexton where there is no church in that new community, not one. What would have happened if that mom and dad hadn't prayed, had given up hope, had quit? What what would have happened if this church hadn't prayed with them? God, let your kingdom come in this young man's life. God, bring him back. Bring your kingdom. What, what What would have happened? See, that prayer has power. So I'm telling you, pray. Pray for that coworker that you think God can't touch. Pray for every person that is far away from God but close to you. Pray, God, our Father, your kingdom come in their life, in their world. Pray for that. Pray it for our church, for River. Pray it for the church around the world. Friends, the church does not have a kingdom. God, the king, his kingdom has a church. The church does not exist for the purposes of its members, but for the purposes of Jesus, for the purposes of his great glory and his goodness being spread. And so we need to pray, thy kingdom, not my will be done for my church, but your kingdom come, your will be done. Pray for his kingdom to come. And then lastly, pray for his kingdom to come globally. All around, all around this world. Pray for it to come to every single nation. I want to especially challenge you to, to try practicing something this week. Every time you come across news, whether it's you opening your news feed in the morning or your newspaper in the morning, however you access news, maybe it's watching you know, news on TV in the evening, pray your kingdom come. God, right now, would your kingdom come in Memphis? God, right now, would your kingdom come in the family of Tyree Nichols. God, would, would your kingdom come in Kiev and in Moscow? God, would your kingdom come in Africa and Asia and the Americas? God, would your kingdom come in this whole broken, messed up world that's under the curse, but God, you love the whole world so much that you sent your only son. The kingdom of the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is that one day it would reach all the earth, that we are to proclaim this gospel to the ends of the earth so that every nation will have heard. You know what Jesus said would happen then in Matthew 24? Then he'll come. That's when he'll come. So we have to pray that his kingdom would come to every, that message would come to every nation on the earth. And when he comes, 
we'll get to see that beautiful vision that the prophet Habakkuk proclaimed in Habakkuk 2. On that day, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory, the beauty, the goodness of our God, the Lord, just like waters cover the sea. The knowledge of how good and great and glorious God is will fill the earth. Our Father, thy kingdom come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that so vividly paints a picture of what it looks like in any space where heaven finds its way to earth. Wherever your will is done, your kingdom comes. And so, God, right now, your word challenges us. Jesus' message challenges us. The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. If we repent and believe that, we can step into your kingdom in the here and now. We can start seeing some of what's up there coming down here. God, we'd be able to confidently pray for for healing of people with illness because we believe that one day everyone who calls Jesus Lord will be healed ultimately so we can ask for what's up there to come down here now in their bodies. We could pray that believing it because we know that's your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Every sphere of it in my family, and my friends, and my co-workers, and my neighbors, thy kingdom come. In this old broken world, thy kingdom come. And Jesus, we know where your kingdom comes, you will be declared king. You're the king of kings and lord of lords, and we want to see that coming like we've never seen it before, oh God. Our Father, Your kingdom come. May your will be done on this earth, in my life, in our church, as perfectly as it's done in your very presence. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.